Well, good morning. Good to, good to be with you folks this morning. So for those that don't know me, my name is Rich Henderson, and I'm the director, my full-time job is I'm director of Love, Inc., Love in the Name of Christ, and I'm a member here at the Neighborhood Bible Church. And this morning, I want to uh, preach to you on the topic of how to encourage your church leaders. And I want to share with you some biblical insights on what we can not do to discourage our church leaders and what we can do to uh, cultivate habits that will encourage them. Now, let me say first off that this is not what you would call a corrective sermon. In other words, uh, Dave didn't call me up a few months ago and say, Hey, Rich, this church really discourages me. Can you preach a sermon for me on how to encourage your church leaders? Okay, that did not happen. In fact, uh, as I talked to Dave about what I was planning to preach, he said, You know, generally, I really feel encouraged as the pastor of this church. And... um, uh, I think that part of that is the personality of our church, that we're a group of flawed people who are willing to admit that we're flawed people, and yet uh, sincere Christians who really desire to walk with Jesus. And it's nice to pastor a church like that. So uh, you should be encouraged that your pastor didn't ask me to preach this sermon. Um, so there's three reasons that I wanted to uh, preach this. Uh, number one is uh, I've already preached this sermon before, so I didn't have to start from scratch as far as a sermon prep. Uh, number two is I've preached this at other churches, but I thought, you know, I really want to preach this to my own church to help my own church know what we can do to encourage our, our church leaders. And uh, number three is this is one of those topics that it's kind of awkward to preach if you're a pastor, right? So I figure I'll do Ben and Dave a... a uh, a service and preach this while they're gone. So the other thing I should say is while uh, most of us think of that word church leaders, we think of our pastors. We think of uh, Dave and Ben, but um, the principles that I'm going to be talking about really apply to encouraging church leaders at all levels. So um, uh, the lay leaders in the youth group, uh, elders, community group leaders, Sunday school teachers, right? All those folks are leaders in the church. So as I preach, it's okay if you're thinking primarily of uh, Dave and Ben, but keep the other leaders of our church in mind as well. Um, You should know that I come at this topic from a unique perspective in that uh, I have been a pastor. I was a pastor of a small church here in San Jose for 15 years, two years as youth pastor and uh, 13 years as lead pastor. And then for the last 12 years, I've had a pastor. I've been a member of this church. So I've kind of been on both sides of the fence here. so uh, the other thing you should know is that I, uh, I stopped preaching on a weekly basis in 2001, and that was before it was required knowledge for a pastor to know how to use PowerPoint, okay? So you're not going to have any cool graphics like Ben and uh, Dave give you guys. It's just me talking up here. And the other thing I realized, this is the, the morning after you're all sleep-deprived from setting your clocks forward an hour, so uh, no PowerPoints uh, for the rest of you. I'll just do the best I can to be as captivating as possible, okay? So that's, that's what I'm trying to do. Uh, Wednesday, I saw this sign on uh, the wall of a bathroom of a church. It said this. Uh, it had a list of supplies like uh, paper towels and toilet seat covers and that kind of thing. And uh, right below it, it says, if you see that we are out of any of the items listed above, please donate as soon as possible. Thank you. <laughs> Now, who is that sign for? I don't know. Nobody knows who that sign is for. Now, I don't know about you, but that does not seem like a good plan to restock the bathroom of a church, right? I mean, can you imagine a first-timer comes to the church, uses the last toilet seat cover without reading the sign first, washes his hands, reads that sign and says, seriously, 
Seriously, I, first time visiting the church, and they expect me to go out and buy toilet seat covers for the ones that I just used up. Where to even buy those things, you know? It's probably thinking, if I ever come to this church again, I will not use the bathroom, all right? <laughs> so here's the deal. When uh, Dave preached about this uh, last week, that uh, in our culture, there is a big push towards leadership, but not much towards followership. And here's the deal. If everybody's in charge, effectively, no one's in charge, right? Uh, That's not a good plan for restocking the bathroom, and that's not a good plan for leading the church. The church needs leaders. So turn in your Bible to uh, Hebrews chapter 13, and I want to read verse 17 to you. All right, Hebrews chapter 13, verse uh, 17, says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would not be profitable for you. So there are leaders in a local church. Uh, Obviously, as head of the church, Christ is the leader. He's the chief shepherd. But there are designated under-shepherds under him. Uh, The leaders of the church are called either pastors, elders, or overseers, and all those three titles refer to the same uh, position. Pastor means shepherd and focuses on the leader's role of caring for the flock. Elder speaks of the spiritual maturity of the man that holds the office. And then overseer, or if you're reading the King James Bible and have the word bishop there, uh, speaks to the leader's role of having oversight over the congregation. So the current elders of our church are uh, Dave and Ben, Kel Cummins, Jim Cook, and then Gria, Pitagoy, Aaron, and Chuck Adam are elders in training, not yet official elders, but headed that way. All right? So we're told to our, obey our leaders. Now, where has the, the idea of pay attention to, uh, be a follower, listen to them. And in case there's any doubt, he uh, goes on to say, submit to them. Do what they tell you to do. Now, obviously, there's limits to your, to your obedience, right? If they tell you to do something that the Bible says not to do, you're not to submit. We've got to obey God rather than men. But otherwise, we're, if they tell you to do something, uh, we should do it. So let me give you an illustration for this. And I realized uh, after I... Uh, was going to use this, that uh, first service people may not have got this, because I talked to Dave about it and what I was going to use, and he says, you know, that may have been an ad lib. (laughs) That may not have been on my notes. So I heard it in the second service, but you folks might not have heard it in the first service. This comes from a sermon from January 26, uh, Galatians chapter 4, verse uh, 21 through through 31. It was called uh, Freedom Child. And I'm going to go the low-tech way and just play this into my microphone, so hopefully this will work. In a misguided attempt to either earn their salvation or keep their salvation. Paul said, enough. I'm going to write to you. Remember how strong the language was in chapter 1? If, if you're not doing this, would you, would you please, this would, this would enhance what goes on in your 40 minutes of the sermon time of this worship service. It would enhance it so much if periodically... You would just go read Galatians by yourself, all the way through in one sitting. Just, just, just discipline yourself, maybe every other week, maybe once a month, as we're going through something like this, just to kind of get the whole flow of things. Okay, did he say that in the first service? Anybody remember? Okay, good, good. I was going to say, if not, I guess we second service people are his favorite group, right? He gives us his best stuff, and uh, you guys miss out. Uh, good. So that's, that's something that he said, and you remember him saying that. So here's my question. Did you do it? Did you do it? Did you sit down at some point and read Galatians all the way through, like your pastor encouraged you to do? 
And now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, okay, all right, former Pastor Rich, did you do that? And I want you to know, yes, I did. Absolutely, I did. Once I realized I was preaching today and could use this (laughs) as a sermon illustration, I sat down and read Galatians, all right? So, is there anything unbiblical about reading through Galatians all at one sitting? I can't think of anything. No problem with that. Now, but something I've noticed, so this is a good command. This is something that Pastor Dave tells us to do that we should do. Now, something I've noticed over the last 12 years that I've been a member of a church is when I hear things like this, when I'm not preaching in the future on the topic and can use it as a sermon illustration, when I hear things like this, I, think that, I tend to think, well, that's a good idea. You know, that's a good suggestion, but I'm not going to do it, you know? So what just happened here? The pastor of my church, the one that God ordained to have oversight over my soul, told me to do something, and I chose not to do it. Um, And folks, I don't think I'm unusual here. I think uh, that's kind of part of our culture as Americans. We're fiercely independent. We're not going to do anything that we don't want to do. And that doesn't really sound like what we just read from Hebrews, does it? To obey your leaders and submit to them. So here's a a radical thought. Uh, When... Dave tells you to do something, or one of the other elders tells you to do something, why not just do it, right? Why not just obey your leaders? So why? Why should we obey the leaders of the church? God put them in our lives to watch over our souls. And that's a good thing, folks. We tend to think as Americans, I don't need anybody to watch over me. God says you do, right? God calls us sheep. Sheep are defenseless animals. Uh, They need a shepherd. You know what you call a sheep without a shepherd? Dinner. That's what you call them. (laughs) Wolf food, right? They don't do very well on their own. They need a shepherd to uh, survive. Uh, That's why God puts us in a flock and gives us pastors to watch over us. i got to tell you that uh, when I was a pastor, the thing I dreaded most about my job was having to talk to people about their sin. I mean, I would rather have a root canal than do that, all right? Uh, Now, sometimes I would talk to a person about their sin, and they would repent. And that was really fulfilling. Uh, James chapter 2, 5, verse 20 says this, uh, uh, talks about turning a a sinner from the error of his ways. And when I talked to somebody and they repented, it just felt fulfilling that God used me to to do that. At those times, all the hand-wringing over it seemed worth it. But there were other times that I talked to church members about their sin, and they didn't repent. And I remember having a string of these occasions. In fact, uh, what they did was the verbal equivalent of uh, punching me in the nose and turning their back and walking away. And I remember having a good talk with God about this, and I told him, I just want to erase that from my job duty, okay? I don't want to have to do that anymore. And here's what the Lord put on my heart. He said, uh, Rich, even if they reject what you say, it's good for them that they have one person in their life who loves them enough to take the risk, tell them the truth, and warn them when they're going astray. It's good for them that you do this. Uh, God also reminded me of this passage that I would have to give an account to him for those that are entrusted to my care. That's a heavy responsibility, folks. The elders at NBC will undergo a scrutiny before the Lord someday that none of the rest of us will have to face. Uh, the author of Hebrews goes on and he says, Let them do this with joy and not with grief, 
for this would be unprofitable for you. Isn't that a fascinating insight? Uh, it would be unprofitable for us as members of Neighborhood Bible Church for the pastors and elders of our church to do their job with grief. So they still need to do their job, right? They still have to do it. That's the command from God. So Dave still needs to preach uh, the word of God, uh, watch over our souls, confront us when we're in sin, pray for us when we're sick, be a good example of a mature Christian man, all those other things a pastor does. Uh, Why? Because that's what God called him to do as pastor of this church. But it would be unprofitable for you to have to do it with grief. Uh, Another way to translate that word unprofitable is harmful. It's harmful for you to make your pastor's life miserable. It's far better for you to have have him go about his work with joy. Uh, Read on to the next uh, verse, and we're going to pick up another way to encourage your church leaders. Verse uh, uh, 18, Hebrews 13, 18. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a good conscience. Uh, Excuse me. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a good conscience desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. Uh, I, I meet regularly as a loving director with about six different uh, pastors groups, and I ask them in preparing for this sermon, uh, what should I say? I'm going to talk about how to encourage your pastor, your church leaders. What should I say? And inevitably, the first words out of their mouth were, pray for me. Ask him to pray for him. Um, one pastor put it like this. He said, it's a spiritual battle. And to have the people that you are leading praying for you gives you a sense that we're all in this together. You'll run through a wall for them. Um, One uh, pastor of a church said that uh, a woman in his church came up to him and said, I pray for you every day. And he said, how encouraging that was for him to have uh, have her say, I pray for you every day. Uh, Now, don't say that if that's not true. Right? I mean, that'd be pretty embarrassing for you to say to Ben or Dave, I pray for you every day, and to have to ask me, ask you, how long have you done that? And to say, just a minute, God bless Ben. Every day, one day. <laughs> I've done it one day, okay? So, you know, if you're going to say that, you've got to back it up with, uh, with action here. Um, by the way, uh, there's a group that meets every Sunday morning. An easy way to do this, uh, come a little early to church, 8.30 to uh, 8.50. There's a group that meets in the youth group room, and we pray. And one of the things we pray for is leaders of our church. Um, while we're in Hebrews 13, turn to verse 7, and I want to pick up another principle on how to encourage your uh, church leaders. Uh, Hebrews 13.7, remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. So the idea of remember those who led you is uh, be mindful of. Be mindful of those who led you and spoke the word of God to you. And we're told, considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. So if you want the same results in your life that you see in the lives of your church leaders, imitate their faith. Do what they do. So when you hear of Jim Cook uh, looking for open doors to share Jesus with his coworkers at the fire station, do you look for ways to share Jesus with your coworkers? Uh, men, when you hear Kel Cummins talk about how passionately and seriously he takes his role as the spiritual leader of his home, do you do the same thing? When you hear uh, Gria Pitagoy Aaron talk about his commitment to his marriage to Jamie, do you follow that example with your wife? When you hear Chuck Adam went to China to use teaching English as a means of sharing of the gospel, do you look for ways of expanding the gospel around the world? You get the idea. Imitate their faith. 
Now, the reason that some people give for not imitating their pastor's faith is this. Well, that's his job. That's what he does. That's what he's paid for. Um, So while it is true that pastors have more time than lay people to engage in activities such as studying the Bible, prayer, uh, warning people who are going astray, visiting and praying for the sick, those kind of things, you know, those are not pastor-exclusive jobs, right? I mean, those are things all Christians ought to be doing. Uh, While you may not preach from the pulpit, if you're a parent like the Smiths, you have a responsibility to teach the Bible to your children. Uh, All of us are charged with going after Christians who are going astray. Caring for others in the church is for all Christians, not just pastors. So while there's a specific calling that a pastor has that's different from that of lay people in the congregation, the idea is if you want the spiritual maturity you see in your church leaders, develop the same habits. Imitate their faith. You'll encourage them as you do. Uh, several pastors I spoke to said that the way their church members was, uh, could encourage them is just by walking with Jesus, live a godly life, uh, grow spiritually, and you'll encourage the leader of your community group. Um, let's turn to another passage, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 13. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13. First Thessalonians 5.12, Paul says, but, I requ- but we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. So Paul gives two commands here for church members concerning their pastors. Number one is to appreciate them, and number two is to esteem them very highly because of their work. So that Greek word appreciate carries the idea of to know, to understand, to perceive. Uh, The idea is to acknowledge the value of what they do. Uh, Webster defines appreciate as to think well of, to recognize gratefully, to estimate the quality or worth of, to be fully or sensitively aware of. Everyone uh, likes to be appreciated for the work that they do, and pastors are no exception. Uh, to that. Uh, it's not easy. It's not easy being a pastor. There's an old joke that uh, being a pastor is a cushy job because you only work one day a week, right? You only work on Sunday, right? Uh, now, you know, there may be some lazy pastors out there, but from my experience, most of the pastors I know are very hardworking men, and uh, they have a hard job to do. Um, Paul says, too, here, note that the, the work that they do merits esteem. Even if you don't like the person as a person, the work that they do merits esteem. Uh, A hard job is more bearable if other people acknowledge that it's a hard job. So knowing that people appreciate the work you do uh, lightens the load. Uh, Let me just give you a a few practical suggestions about how you may show appreciation to your church leaders. Uh, One pastor gave this good word. He said, uh, know their love language. So for those of you that aren't familiar with that, the book uh, written a number of years ago called uh, The Five Love Languages by a Christian counselor named uh, Gary Chapman. And he said uh, there's five ways that people perceive other people love them. And they are, uh, it was written primarily for marriages, but uh, has other other, uh, applications. So they they are uh, in your bulletin there. I've written them down. Words of affirmation, quality time, gifts, Uh, acts of service, and physical touch. 
So with the obvious exception of physical touch, those other four really work well as ways that you can show appreciation for your church leaders. Now, here's the important thing. Uh, for that other per- person to perceive love, you've got to speak their love language. So let me give you an example of what this looks like. So there's a man, there's a husband, whose uh, love language is gifts, all right? giving and receiving gifts. And he's married to a wife whose love language is acts of service. Okay, Now, if he speaks his love language, what's going to happen? He's going to keep buying her these lavish gifts all right? and keep giving her these gifts. And she is going to say, why don't you just give me, why don't you just do the dishes? You know, I don't want these stupid gifts. In fact, those gifts could make her mad, right? If what she wants is acts of service, do the dishes. He keeps giving her gifts. He's not speaking her love language, okay? So that's the whole idea. You've got to speak the other person's uh, love language. Uh, Now, obviously, the challenge here is knowing that person well enough to know what their love language is. Uh, But once you know it, uh, use it to encourage them. So, ladies, if the leader of your women's Bible study if her love language is quality time, take her out to lunch. Spend some time with her. Uh, young people, if one of the uh, volunteer staff of the youth group uh, appreciates words of affirmation, uh, write him or her a letter letting, letting them know what you appreciate about their ministry to you. I'm guessing that letter is going to be held on to and read over and over again. Now, here's the deal. If, uh, love, if Ben's love language is gifts and you write him a nice letter instead of uh, sending him a Starbucks gift card, that's okay, right? He'll still appreciate the gesture. So it wouldn't have been as meaningful as if you spoke his love language, but it's still, still nice to get. Uh, several pastors shared that it was tremendously encouraging for them to see the members of the congregation serving others, both Christians and non-Christians. And that just makes sense. It makes sense because uh, of the job description God gives pastors. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verses... Uh, 11 through 13, and I want to read to you why pastors were given to the church. Uh, Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Uh, So the gifted people mentioned in verse 11, including pastors and teachers, were given to equip the saints so that the saints could do works of service. Uh, Therefore, it's no wonder that a pastor or a teacher would be encouraged when the saints under their care actually serve. Uh, The fact that you are serving means they are being effective in their ministry to you, their equipping ministry to you. You know, really, for a pastor, that's the closest thing they have to giving a class test to see if we've learned the material or not, right? Are we serving? Um, One pastor said that the members of his church uh, could encourage him by asking, uh, what can I do to help? And, uh, you know, that's that's a good question to ask, but you got to realize that puts a little pressure on the pastor because it puts some pressure on the pastor to know what can you do to help? You know, what, what are you good at? Well, let me give you an example. So if, uh, if Rob took sick this morning and Dave was here and he said, hey, Rich, Rob's sick, uh, can you lead singing? <laughs> well, yeah, I want to help, so I'll, I'll you know, lead singing, but it would not be good. That would not be edifying for you, okay? So uh, it puts 
pressure on the pastor when you ask, what can I do to help? Better is to know the God-given abilities and the spiritual gifts that you have and jump right in and use those in an area that needs your help. Uh, let me give you an example of this. This is my favorite uh, example of this idea. When I was pastoring, there was a guy in my church by the name of Moses Ashalu. He was uh, from Nigeria, and he uh, immigrated to the United States, and he was an excellent percussionist. And he played the conga drums like these back here for our uh, worship band and was greatly appreciated. So Moses uh, moved to Stockton, California, and I recommended a good church there in our same denomination to go to, uh, to get plugged into. And uh, the, uh, the next day, so he went there on a Sunday, and the very next day was the annual meeting for our denomination. And I spoke to the pastor of that church, and I said, hey, did my you know, church member Moses visit you guys yesterday? And his eyes lit up, and he says, oh, you sent Moses to us. And I, well, what's the story? So here's what happened. So the, uh, the Saturday night before church, the worship team prayed that God would send them someone to help them out, okay? The next day Sunday is Moses' very first Sunday in the church. Uh, he was the only black person in the service that morning, okay? And he was there, the, the worship band started, and he noticed that there's a tambourine sitting on stage that nobody was playing. So he calmly walks up and he takes the... <laughs> Takes the tambourine, stands up on stage, starts playing the tambourine with the worship band. And the members of the worship band are kind of looking at each other, you know, who is this guy, you know? And uh, during the meet and greet time, the pastor, who is a member of the worship band, went to the band leader and says, do you know him? I don't know him. They ask his uh, board chairman, who is a member of the worship band, do you know this? I don't know this guy. And uh, nobody said anything to Moses, so he kept, kept on going with the set. And, uh, and kept playing. Uh, so this was his very first time at church. I mean, can you imagine this? Now, I don't recommend you do this, right? Rob would probably appreciate that you say, hey, I can play the tambourine, you want some help, that kind of thing, before you do it. But here's the, here's the point. Moses knew what he could do. And he could see there's a need up there. There's an empty tambourine. Nobody's playing. I can help out. And so he jumped right in and, and helped out. Now, the pastor of that church uses that as a sermon illustration in their church. If you go to that church in Stockton, California, today, 13 years later, you're going to find Moses playing percussion in the worship band. He jumped right in, he filled the need, and he's up and out. Uh, be faithful in the responsibilities you take on. What a joy it was for me as a pastor to have somebody uh, take something on and just let it go, know that they were going to uh, take care of it. On the other hand, what a drain it was to give so, or something over to somebody and have to worry about, are they going to do it? Are they going to fall through? Am I going to have to catch this again? That kind of thing. Um, let me let you in on a little secret. Uh, a little secret of the two words that pastors dread most. Anybody got a guess? Any guesses? No? How about this? We should. We should. And here's the way it comes across. Pastor we should run an Awana program for the young people in our community. Or, Pastor, we should start up a Celebrate Recovery program. Now, let me tell you why pastors dread that word, those words, we should. Because here's the deal. If what we should meant was, Pastor, uh, our church should start up an Awana program, and I'm willing to lead it. 
I'm willing to get, take charge over it and do everything. All I want is your blessing. Now, if I heard that as a pastor, I would say, God bless you. God bless you. Go for it, man. If you're willing to do that and pull it all together and, and do it, fantastic. But that's not what that word, those words mean, right? Those words really mean, pastor, you should. You should start up and want a program. You should do a celebrate recovery. And now that I've told you to do that, I expect you to do it. You know, local governments have a name for this. When the federal government tells them to do something but doesn't give them money, they call it an unfunded mandate, right? (laughs) They've got an unfunded mandate from the uh, federal government. Uh, Another way to encourage your pastor is by showing your commitment to the church by becoming a member. Uh, Taking the step of becoming a member is like saying, I'm joining this team. You can count on me. I'm committed to this body of believers. I'm putting on the NBC jersey today. Uh, Hebrews 13, 17 said that leaders have to give an account for the sheep. Let me tell you, it's frustrating as a pastor to not know which sheep you have to give an account for, right? To know which sheep are in the flock and which sheep you're just kind of passing by to another flock. Uh, Now, uh, I understand that it takes some time to try out a church and see if it's a good fit. It's kind of a lot like dating in that way, right? You don't go on one day, hey, I think we should get married. What do you say? Um, But here's the deal. After... A while, dating or being engaged is unhealthy if it lingers too long, right? I mean, if you're dating somebody or engaged to somebody for 10 years, you ought to pretty much know by then, right? You're, you're probably not going to get new information to come to light to say, oh, boy, okay, now that submits the decision. Um, you know, uh, it's time to fish or cut bait at some point, right? You know, and here's the deal. If you've been a regular attender at a church for five years, that's probably too long. Okay, you probably should have got a pretty good feel for the church and and, uh, know if that's a good church for you or if you should move to another church and become a member. And there's just something healthy and right in getting plugged into a church as a member and staying at that church for a long time until the Lord calls you elsewhere. Uh, Church hopping doesn't lend itself to spiritual maturity. Amen? Um, Since these verses talk about the pastor's role in giving instruction to the church, I want to talk for a few minutes about how to receive instruction from your pastor. Uh, Let's start with this. Pay attention. Pay attention to his sermons. Whatever you do, whatever you do, do not fall asleep while he is preaching, okay? Uh, So I don't know if you realize this or not. I I kind of forgot this sitting in the congregation, but the pastor can see you as he's preaching. You are not invisible, okay? I tend to think as a member that, you know, I see him, but he doesn't see me. And so if I fall asleep or if I make a snide comment to the person next to me or, or that kind of thing, uh, you know, he's not going to notice. He notices. He sees those things. Uh, here's something. This is big news. He can see when you're getting a message or sending a message on your cell phone. Some of you just said, he can see that. He can see that, folks. And, uh, and he knows if you've got a smartphone and you're looking up a Bible passage, he knows the difference between that and sending a text. It's a lot more taps to send a text than just look up a Bible passage. He knows all those things. Um, let me just tell you, uh, from, from personal experience, it's very discouraging to preach to people who are asleep. Okay, uh, I've had that experience. In fact, uh, one time, a middle schooler in my church came up to me with a list, pretty lengthy list of names on it. And I said, uh, what's this manual? And he says, this is a list of everybody that fell asleep during your sermon this morning. <laughs> Nancy's name was on that list. <laughs> now, uh, think about it. 
if you're talking to somebody and they fall asleep, wouldn't you feel that that's kind of, you know, rude or disrespectful? Uh, so you might say, you might say, but hey, I am really tired on Sunday morning. I get that, you know. If you're really tired, go to bed earlier Saturday night. So you're not really tired. At the very least, get a cup of coffee before you go to church. You don't have to stop by Starbucks. It's right outside. Get a cup of coffee so you stay awake. Uh, if there's one hour of the week that you want to stay awake, it's this hour, right? When you come to church and your pastor who loves you preaches the word of God to you. Let me put it another way. If there's one hour the devil wants you to fall asleep and distract you, it's this hour. Because he didn't want you to get what the pastor has for you. When I was uh, preaching, I had a particular older saint that I just loved to preach to. Her name was uh, Jeannie. And uh, when I would preach, she would sit there and her, honestly, her mouth was open like this, you know. And when I'd say something that uh, Christians shouldn't do, no, she would shake her head. No, we should not do that, you know. And when I'd say something, Christian, she'd, amen, amen. She'd say it out loud, you know. And man, that was just so encouraging to preach to her because she was tracking with me, you know. Now, some of you say, well, that's over the top. I'm not going to do that. And that's fine, you know. But it's encouraging for a pastor to... Uh, to know that you're attentive to them when they preach, right? Amen? Now you're just patronizing me, okay? <laughs> Listen, I'm trying to be as captivating as I possibly can up here. All right. Uh, well, while I'm on the topic of preaching, let me, let me say another thing. Uh, don't say this. Don't say, good sermon, pastor. Now, I'm even surprised to you. And let me tell you, it's certainly better to hear good sermon, pastor, than bad sermon, pastor, okay? But uh, good sermon pastor doesn't mean a whole lot because it's kind of obligatory. People kind of have to say that, right? I mean, what do you say the pastor's after? Um, a good sermon pastor. You know, it doesn't take a whole lot of thought. Uh, so if you really want to encourage Dave or Ben, tell them how the Lord used the sermon to speak to something in your life. Uh, it might be something you felt convicted by or something you felt comforted by or a new insight that applies to your uh, present situation. It takes more effort, but it's a lot more meaningful. One pastor told me that the most meaningful feedback he received uh, regarding his sermons was when the church members would tell him a week or two after his sermon how they had been able to apply something that he preached about. Uh, that really encouraged him because they had actually done something with what he had taught them. Uh, that made my day as a pastor to know that my influence had helped someone grow spiritually. Uh, let me give you a few other uh, few things to avoid. Uh, one of the pastors I spoke to gave this advice: Don't complain. Don't complain. That's biblical. That's from uh, Philippians two fourteen. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Uh, one pastor put it this way: Complaints ultimately come up to us because if something happened to the church in some way, we had our hands in it. So complaints ultimately come back to the pastor. Uh, one pastor said that a series of complaints about little things really started to take its toll and discourage him. Now, folks, if it's a big thing, if your community group leader taught heresy or Dave or Ben preached heresy, then great, go to them respectfully, privately, and talk to them about it. But if it's a little thing, you know, if the cry room uh, walls got painted cream and you were hoping for white, okay, let that go. Just let that go. Just hold your tongue. And every time you're in that cry room and you're looking at those cream-colored walls, it's an opportunity to die to self. Okay? Just let those things go. I, I knew of a pastor whose uh, practice was to open uh, letters from the members of the church and look for the signature. And if there was no signature on the letter, he would throw it in the trash without reading it. 
And I thought, good for you. You know, uh, basically saying, I'm not going to accept anonymous complaints from the congregation. Uh, uh, now, if a church leader is clearly doing something unethical, there's a process in the Bible for church discipline. It's outlined in Matthew uh, 18, 15 through 17, and 1 Timothy 5, uh, 19 through 20. Uh, another final tip on how to encourage your pastor is to forgive him. Uh, I can make you a promise. If you stay around this church for any length of time, one of the leaders of the church will eventually do or say something that will offend you. That's a promise I can make you, okay? That's just what you expect in dealing with falling, fallen people, right? It will happen. Uh, so when that happens, don't hold a grudge. Forgive. That's what we're told to do when we're offended, right? Forgive. If the Lord leads you to talk to the person about it, talk to them. They may have no idea that they offended you. By talking, you give the the leader a chance to apologize or to clear up a misunderstanding. Whatever you do, do not talk to other people in the church about your gripe with the pastor. That's called gossip, right? Okay. Want to go on to the next passage, 1 Timothy chapter 15, verses uh, 17 through 18. 1 Timothy 15, 17 through 18. 1 Timothy 15, 17, and 18. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox when he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. So that word honor there carries the idea of financial compensation. And Paul quotes both the Old Testament and the words of Jesus from the, from the Gospels to reiterate this point. If you want to read Paul's most in-depth teaching regarding a congregation's responsibility to support their pastor financially, uh, just write this down, 1 Corinthians 9, 1 through 14. Uh, So one very appropriate way uh, to honor your pastor is by paying him an appropriate salary. Now, in order to do that, you first have to give. Um, I had members of my church tell me that it took them years to realize that the money that paid their pastor came from what people in the church put in the offering plate when it went by on Sunday morning. Uh, I don't know what they thought. I don't know if they thought there was a big denominational headquarters that channels money to all the pastors or something like that. It doesn't work like that, folks. You know, we're an independent Bible-teaching church. So it's just us. When we first started, we got some uh, funding from uh, uh, Valley Church in Cupertino. That is long gone. So all the money to pay our pastors come from what we give on a Sunday morning. Um, So our giving ties in directly to this command to honor our pastor with a good salary. Let me say, too, as a pastor, it it was tremendously important to me the attitude that the congregation had concerning a a pastor's salary. So the church that I pastored was a a small church. Uh, Average attendance, usually about 45 people. And there were times when uh, it got very hard for them to pay my salary, and, um, and they couldn't pay the entire thing. So here's the deal. What I sensed is they really wanted to. They really wanted to pay my salary. They really wanted to honor me financially uh, with their giving. It was just the economic realities of our small congregation that prevented them from doing so. And folks, knowing that their desire was to be generous with me and pay me well, boy, that made all the difference of the world to me. Uh, I can't think of a single comment during my 15 years uh, in the ministry there where anybody grudged me my paycheck. Uh, to the best of their ability, they lived out these verses. One last verse before we're done. Uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 6. Now, you're going to be getting this in a few weeks if you go through Galatians, but it 
it's, it's appropriate to what we're talking about, so I'm going to have you look at it today. Galatians chapter 6, verse 6. And let the one who has taught the word share all good things with him who teaches. So that expression, all good things, widens the concept of uh, honoring our pastor to more than just money, uh, to our other uh, resources that we have. Uh, one of the pastors in the group that I talked to when I asked that question, what can you do to encourage your pastor, said, uh, let him use your vacation home. I thought, that's a great, that's a great idea. You know, when I was pastoring, uh, we were beneficiaries of that. There was a pastor in a church in Santa Cruz that was going to be on vacation a week. And so he, he, found, he asked, is there another pastor that could use my beach house while I'm on vacation? And so our family went over and used their beach house for free and had a great week at the beach in Santa Cruz. Now, if we had to pay market rate for that, we probably wouldn't have done it. It would have been out of our budget. But it was a great blessing. And I made a point of telling my kids, they're letting us do this because your dad's a pastor. That's why they're letting us uh, do this. Um, one time I asked my kids what it was like for them being a pastor's kid. And I was wondering, you know, are they going to talk about all the negative things of, uh, well, dad, you're gone a lot at night at church meetings, or it was really tough, you know, living in a, a fishbowl and that kind of thing. And I remember uh, very distinctly my daughter Kelly is saying, you know, I felt lucky to be a pastor's kid. And she went on to talk about some of these special things that we had been able to do uh, because I was a pastor, like the beach house, that kind of thing. Uh, folks, that's what we want the Carlson and the Palm kids to look back on and say when they're adults, right? We want them to say, I was lucky to be a pastor's kid. And uh, that's, what you, that's what happens when you share all good things uh, with our church leaders. I'm going to ask the band uh, to come on up, and uh, let me just uh, close with this. I encourage you to do some little creative thinking. What things has God entrusted to your stewardship that could be a blessing to our church leaders? Um, maybe you have an extra vehicle that a missionary family could use while they're in town on furlough. Um, I know that John Thomas has taken some of the elders of our church dirt bike riding and uh, uh, offered them that. Maybe you're a gourmet cook, and you could bring a special meal uh, for the Carlson or the Palm family. And maybe you could babysit for them so they could go out on a date. Um, did you know that October is uh, officially called Pastor Appreciation Month? Anybody besides me know that? Okay, one, good. That's, that's, that's a start, all right? Now, now you're thinking, Whew, okay, I got seven months. <laughs> I, got, I don't have to do anything with Rich's talk for seven months. Now, you don't need to wait till October, right? You can start right away uh, applying some of these things. In fact, just in a few minutes, we're going to have an offering. That's a perfect time to start applying what we've uh, learned here today. Uh, if you apply the principles we looked at from the Bible today, you'll be encouraging our church leaders all year long. The results will be good for them and good for you. It's a win-win. Let's uh, bow our heads as we consider what we've heard today. Father, we thank you for adopting us into your family. Uh, Jesus, at one time, you looked over the multitude and observed that they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. We are not that way because we have you as our chief shepherd and the elders of this church as our under-shepherds. Father, we're grateful for this church. Thank you for all the fine leaders you've given us. We count ourselves very blessed to have godly men and women as leaders over the various ministries of Neighborhood Bible Church. They take such good care of us, and we are grateful for that. Help us, Holy Spirit, to do our part.
take good care of them. In Jesus' name, amen.